cop who killed Eric Gardner was not indicted by the police department. Police Tell me I'm resisting arrest, but I'm only protecting my breath. I can't breathe. The cops hate a black man to death. They tell me that mentality left. It didn't leave. See, being black come with a price. Sometimes we got to pay with our life. Our family grieve. The grand jury never indicts. The grand dragon's wearing his white. True indeed. No justice, no peace again. I won't trust the police again. Another black man murdered in the streets by police. He won't hug his own niece again. So what's a black mom tell her son? They might hate the mere sight of you. So no, I can't buy that pellet gun. They might try to Tamir Rice you. I guess the devil's job is never done. Respect the value of my life too. For me, change may never come. Cause I can't change into a white dude. Cops working with the prosecutor. Prosecutor manipulate the grand jury. Grand jury says no indictment. Send the community into levels past fury. Protesters on the sidewalk. Welcome to the Ferguson Response Network podcast. I'm your host, Leslie Mack, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Ricky L. Hines the second. What's going on, Ricky? Uh it's just been a busy week. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's the best it. way I can put it right yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, that's all there is to really say. It has been a very busy week. Um, if this is your first time listening to us, you can find us on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. Just search Ferguson Response Network. You can also go to our website, fergusonresponse.org. And if you have actions coming up in your area or looking for uh, Black Spring or uh, Black Lives Matter actions, you can go to fergusonresponse.tumblr.com. You can also find us on the AUA um, app, which you can get from the Google Play Store and also on any Android device. That's correct? That's correct. Uh-huh. And if you are also just listening to us and like, what the hell am I listening to? Uh, we are a weekly podcast where we try to be as weekly as we can, devoted to supporting citizens working to create lasting social change through sustained civil disobedience and civic action. And if you are not familiar with Ricky, which I don't know how you couldn't, but he is a Los Angeles native U.S. Navy veteran, avid Googler, blogger, founder of the Americans United Again movement. He hosts the Americans United Again podcast. He co-hosts the AUA Hope podcast with the lovely Shirelle. And do you have another podcast coming up or I thought there was something else coming um, I've put that one on hiatus. Oh, okay. I've, I've kind of like scrapped that project because I, I don't think that at this moment I have the uh, the resources and knowledge to, to pull it off, gotcha. to pull it off it, the way it needs to be done. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, well, that even what I just said is a mouthful and you are always guessing. I know you were just on, what show were you? You were just on uh, another show this week, weren't you? Uh, Father Teresa's Wine Cellar right, with right. Uh, William and Phoenix, Phoenix. where I just... I, I was at home listening, and I was like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm calling in. <laughs> um, and then we ended up doing basically the rest of the show together. Um, and the My True Podcast nice. um, with Michael Wright. My, nice. And those are, That's busy week. Yeah. In addition to putting out two episodes, which were really supposed to be one, but, you know, they were just long. So Yeah, sometimes it happens. It just happens that way. Um, what's been going on with me? Not much, really. Just um, back from Arts of Justice, and uh, you know, we went to Baltimore Tuesday to do some volunteer work. So I've just been trying to stay as useful as I can, you know, just amplifying, getting the word out, what's needed, 
where people are, where they can help. Um, obviously, lots of solidarity actions jumping up all over the place, um, which is great to see and wonderful to see solidarity with um, everyone in Baltimore. Um, and then, of course, today the um, arrest um, and the charges file announcement was a big deal also. But before yes. we get into all of that, I was hoping, been waiting to talk to you specifically so that somebody could make me or somehow allow me to wrap my head around what happened in the Rakia Boyd case in Chicago. I just, I, I don't understand it. I've read copious amounts of articles about it. Um, I, I just still, I'm, I'm just so confused. And her brother and her mother were at the final rally of March to Justice to speak with us the day after the ruling. Mm -hmm. And they were really, you know, raw. Like her mom, you know, couldn't even speak. She was so upset. Her brother was crying, not just talking about the loss of Rakia, because, you know, that's something that they have been working through. That is something that they have come to terms with. That is something that they've been, um, you know, emotionally dealing with. But the... Mm -hmm way that they were treated and the situation that happened when they announced um, that they were basically just dismissing the case um, was be, it was so insulting to them. They're the grieved party. You know, the state is supposed to be there to protect and fight for them in this moment. And, you know, the way they were treated was just so heinous and so, so typical of how I see law enforcement and the criminal justice system treating on the families of these victims. It's just so, it's just like dehumanizing on top of dehumanizing on top of dehumanizing. So yeah. what, what happened? How, how did this come to pass? You know, I feel like I had been reading about the, the case and it seemed like the defense was putting, or the prosecutor was putting up information that was pretty irrefutable and pretty, you know, these are facts. They happened. It, yeah. You know, there were there were tests done and eyewitnesses and another victim. So wh what happened? Well, this is why I say that the system isn't broken. It's just that the people who are running it are. Hmm. Because the judge threw the case out before the jury had an opportunity to, to rule um, based on the fact that this couldn't have been reckless you know, manslaughter is usually reserved for something reckless. Um, and he said that the charges, the judge said that the charges should have been um, first or second degree murder. Here's the problem. Hmm. Normally, when we take these types of cases where it's, it looks like it's fucking open and shut, the, the, the prosecutors have a tendency to over prosecute where they're, 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 Labeling charges that they can't even fucking um, prove. They, I mean, they may in fact, like it may in fact be first first degree murder, for example. Right. Um, but as a but you can't prove that in the court of law, so you're basically purposely letting that person off because you know you can get them on second degree murder. You know you can get them on manslaughter. Well, this time the prosecutor was a little on a little more on the cautious side mm. because again, there's a case, there's 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 a history, there's precedents that have been set. With, with these types of cases. And so he went the other way and the blood and, and a judge blocked it before the jury even had the opportunity to rule. This it, it, the system 
probably would have worked. He pro- that cop would have been off the streets, and you know we can debate as to whether or not his his jail time or whatever would have happened to him would have been sufficient or not um, sufficient. But but something would have happened. Yeah, something would have happened. And why? And why? What was the judge's reason? Because this is where I have the problem. I feel like everything up until that point is like, okay, I see, da 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 da. What? is the reasoning because it, it just in my mind i always assumed that if you committed first degree murder then by default you kind of committed the other things that come below it because like you did something worse than manslaughter you did something worse than second degree murder so it seemed like if you committed first degree murder that inherently you committed manslaughter at the same time like do you know what i'm saying that's how um, i thought about it anyways in my mind it's like i i don't i don't quite follow how if you if you're saying that your point is that that this other crime was committed, but that other crime encompasses the the definition of this the the one you're talking about, I don't understand. Well, again, this is where people's interpretations of laws comes into my, comes into place because in in Illinois, I guess apparently the the word in um, reckless it has to be reckless to be considered uh, manslaughter. Huh. Okay, yeah. Okay. Um basically the judge focused on um the word intentional. Hmm. Or I'm sorry, reckless. Um, you know, pointing a gun over someone over your shoulder and just fucking firing into a crowd isn't really reckless. It's something that's very intentional. I mean you could argue that it's inherently reckless. Um but there reckless is it, that that's why this happened. That's why it it but, doesn't but make any can, fucking sense. It doesn't at it all. It is a reckless act. Something can be intentionally reckless. You can intend to yes. do it, and the act still be a reckless one. Yes, absolutely. I, I'm. I again, I can't make fucking sense of the shit. Hmm. That's that's about as far as I can possibly go because yeah. again, it's not it's not these the the system that's fucking flawed. It's this judge's interpretation. And do you think the prosecutor went? conservative as you as you referred to earlier with this being the possible outcome do you or do you think this is just the norm that you know because it's a cop they try and go easy on them and this you know where what do you think about all of the pieces of the puzzle i'm honestly not sure as to whether or not the prosecutor undercharged purposely Mm -hmm. um simply because Again, there's precedent with similar types of cases. You can look at, uh, oh, what's the, what's her name? Uh, Casey Anthony, right? Where she got off basically because they they overcharged her. They had more than enough to charge her with manslaughter and child endangerment, and they didn't. They went for fucking murder. Mm. That's and that's. I mean, there's there's fucking tons of them, and a lot of them happen in Florida. There's usually like this habit of it happening in Florida. Um, but if I'm a lawyer and I see those types, and I see a similar type of case where it's it's in the media, it, it's highly sensationalized, and it's pretty fucking obvious that the person on trial did something wrong. There's no, like there's no question that the, the the person did something wrong and malicious. 
how do you get a conviction? Huh. And they probably would have gotten a conviction out of a jury simply because a jury wouldn't have made that distinction. The judge did, and the judge intervened because, again, he had like he has the ability to do this for a very specific reason within you know the the framework of democracy and the framework of like how our government works. But if you're using that that power to negate the very you know negate the very purpose that you have it that's where it becomes a problem you can't change you, you can change the system but if you give this if you give it to or you can change the system but if the same people remain in, in charge of the system it doesn't, it doesn't matter what it doesn't changes really change made. they just find right. a fucking way to do what they wanted to do anyway slavery ended right they 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 made they gave themselves an out with you know the 13th amendment and allowing slavery to be punishment for a crime, um, then they started locking niggas up, right? And have not stopped since, right? Well, it's interesting. Definitely, there's been some accusations, anyways, that the that Anita Alvarez, um, the state's attorney, um, did this purposefully, went low to kind of try and play the odds, meaning she could not bring any charges because that would be terrible for the community would see that as un- unjust and if she went for uh, first or second degree murder the FOP would be upset with her uh, Rakia's family consistently said his, her brother Martin Martinez Sutton said we asked for first degree charges we asked for second degree charges and they said no so we went with what they thought was best um and another Chicago attorney, Bruce Moshbacher, said the state's attorney of Cook County did something very unusual, which is to charge an individual who shot a gun into a crowd with something less than first degree murder. I haven't seen that happen. That's very disturbing mm-hmm. here and it should be disturbing. And I can't say that they were given this officer a break, but it certainly looks like it. Um, and there's some more information that came out later about previous um Incidents where um, state's attorney Anita Alvarez uh, did similar things. On January 23rd, 2010, Miguel Adorno, this is from the Daily Cause, um, mm-hmm. fired his gun under his arm, much like Severin, um, Servin did, claimed to uh, at a party in Chicago. A bullet hit Shannon Fanning in the arm. Nobody died, but Miguel Adorno was charged and convicted with attempted murder and given a mandatory 15-year sentence. Um, uh Miguel appealed the decision saying he was overcharged and oversentenced for something that was purely reckless. And when you see what she, what the state argued, full document below to blow your mind. So according to the defendant's testimony, the people chasing him were, were right on his heels. Therefore, the defendant knew he was firing the weapon in their direction when he reached into the trunk and fired the gun under his arm without looking. Um, this was her argument. Illinois courts have clearly and consistently held that when a defendant points a firearm in the direction of an intended victim and fires a weapon, he has not acted recklessly. She quotes People versus Sip, um, and that's a legal case, because defendant knowingly wow. fired his gun in the direction of the crowd, a reckless conduct instruction was not appropriate. We do not find the court abused its discretion in refusing to instruct the jury on reckless conduct. The evidence elicited in the case shows that the defendant knew the victim and others were general were ge- present in the general vicinity of the apartment building and the defendant fired his weapon multiple times in that direction. Furthermore, specific intent to take a human life is a material element of the offense of attempted murder. But the very fact of firing a gun at a person supports the conclusion the person doing so acted with the intent to kill. 
That's from 2013. Wow. June 4th. Wow. I mean, the the problem for me is is that as a cop, it's going to be hard to convict a cop of fucking first or second degree murder. Yep. Um, However, you can all, like, you can almost guarantee that you get them on, um, get them on, like, manslaughter Manslaughter, or or some, some, something along those lines mm-hmm. because eh, it just has to so you just have to show negligence you know even if you thought that someone was chasing you know uh was reaching right for you a gun, just say you know the evidence it was negligent whatever, to fire yeah. into a fucking you know right to fire at that person without doing without at least knowing that they have a gun or the, the one the one not even fucking being there yeah Fuck it. Like, like let's just be honest and you're off duty and you didn't identify yourself as a police officer and all of the all of the all of that because in my opinion i don't even know why this yeah. is a police case the the police weren't called there's no police no. incident this is just a person who by anybody else looking was just a dude in a car that started shooting at yeah. people and killed a girl that's what happened yeah that's a shame i i, I just think that she may have actually went safe knowing that this was an officer and that she could get that. But I don't know. Again, it, it's where this it's it's, it's tough. The it's judge tough. because the judge like again, it's not that he wouldn't have been punished because it's pretty obvious that you could have gotten them away. But yeah, okay, well yeah, there's an intellectual inconsistency in the fact that you make this statement in 2013 and then you decide to charge this person with manslaughter but why is that intellectual inconsistency there is there a different context and in the context of charging an officer whether he's off duty or on is the fact that he's a cop carries weight with people you can and he can a defense can manipulate that and you'll lose regardless of how right you are right yeah i mean i guess there is a difference in it but i also think that there's just because she just had this argument that she made, she had to know that the judge would be able to kind of call, you know, call into question the decision at the same time. I don't know. Yeah. It's just a little bit complicated. Yeah. I only mentioned this and I want to go into detail about it because we did see the charges filed today against the six officers who were around and responsible, according to the state's attorney's office in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, with the death of um Freddie Gray. So we have two essays and two deaths at the hands of police in two large cities. And so I wanted to kind of really dig a little deeper into Rakia as we know what happened and the outcome of that. Um, There's double jeopardy at this point and nothing else can happen to Dante Servan. And as far as I know, he can even continue to, he can be a police officer. Again, I don't think anything on that side of things happened or is there still more recourse for that side of things like police misconduct? I know that that's something else that can be pursued separate from, you know, these criminal filings. I mean, that depends on whether or not they want to go after it. Right. And not, like, and now that I'm thinking about it, the fact that, because we covered this on, we, when we had the issue, the uh, episode of AUA podcast, where we talked about what's going on in Chicago as far as their police department. Right. Um, this is this has just got to be an inside job. It, not now that I'm really putting. The yeah, when you together. really look at it, though, it's too much. Because think about it: you have a city that has spent more on its on it, on reimbursing people or uh, payouts for police misconduct 
then the entire staff at the mayor's office. They're about to have the, the first case of actual reparations from a major city in like three decades. So, I mean, it's significant. Yeah. It's not a small thing. But yeah, I don't know. It's paid, just, it's just. They've paid, but they've paid so much out. But no one's been charged. He's the first police officer in 15 years to be charged, despite the fact of them putting out damn near $100 million in um, fucking civil fines. That is that is outrageous. It's crazy. It's totally nuts. Um, so, yeah, so... I want to play. Maybe we can just get a little bit of um, a prosecutor, Marilyn Mosby's statement. Here we go. Good morning. First and foremost, I need to express publicly my deepest sympathies for the family of the loved ones of Mr. Freddie Gray. I had the opportunity to meet with Mr. Gray's family to discuss some of the details of the case and the procedural steps going forward. I assured his family that no one is above the law and that I would pursue justice on their behalf. To the thousands of city residents, community organizers, faith leaders, and political leaders that chose to march peacefully throughout Baltimore, I commend your courage to stand for justice. I also commend the brave men and women, both in uniform and out, who have stepped up Monday night to protect our communities from those who wish to destroy it. As the city's chief prosecutor, I've been sworn to uphold justice and to treat every individual within the jurisdiction of Baltimore City equally and fairly under the law. I take this oath seriously, and I want the public to know that my administration is committed to creating a fair and equitable justice system for all. No matter what your occupation, your age, your race, your color or your creed. It is my job to examine and investigate the evidence of each case and apply those facts to the elements of a crime in order to make a determination as to whether individuals should be prosecuted. This is a tremendous responsibility, but one that I sought and accepted when the citizens of Baltimore City elected me as a state's attorney. And it's precisely what I did in the case of Freddie Gray. Once alerted about this incident, on April 13th, investigators from my police integrity unit were deployed to investigate the circumstances surrounding Mr. Gray's apprehension. Over the course of our independent investigation in the untimely death of Mr. Gray, my team worked around the clock, 12 and 14 hour days, to canvas and interview dozens of witnesses, view numerous hours of video footage, repeatedly reviewed and listened to hours of police videotape statements, surveyed the route, reviewed voluminous medical records, and we leveraged the information made available to us by the police department, the community, and the family of Mr. Gray. The findings of our comprehensive, thorough, and independent investigation, coupled with the medical examiner's determination that Mr. Gray's death was a homicide, which we received today, has led us to believe that we have probable cause to file criminal charges. The statement of probable cause is as follows. On April 12, 2015, between 8.45 and 9.15 a.m., 
Near the corner of North Avenue and Mount Street, Lieutenant Brian Rice of the Baltimore Police Department, while on bike patrol with officers Garrett Miller and Edward Nero, made eye contact with Mr. Freddie Carlos Gray Jr. Having made eye contact with Mr. Gray, Mr. Gray subsequently ran from Lieutenant Rice. Lieutenant Rice then dispatched over departmental radio that he was involved in a foot pursuit, at which time bike patrol officers and narrow officers Miller and Nero also began to pursue Mr. Gray. Having come in contact with the pursuing officers, Mr. Gray surrendered to officers Miller and Nero in the vicinity of the 1700 block of Pressbury Street. Officers Miller and Nero then handcuffed Mr. Gray and moved him to a location a few feet away from his surrendering location. Mr. Gray was then placed in a prone position with his arms handcuffed behind his back. It was at this time that Mr. Gray indicated that he could not breathe and requested an in inhaler to no avail. Officers Miller and Nero then placed Mr. Gray in a seated position and subsequently found a knife clipped to the inside of his pants pocket. The blade of the knife was folded into the handle. The knife was not a switchblade and is lawful under Maryland law. These officers subsequently Thank removed you. the knife Thank and you. placed it on the sidewalk. Mr. Gray was then placed back down on his stomach, at which time Mr. Gray began to flail his legs and scream as Officer Miller placed Mr. Gray in a restraining technique known as a leg lace. While Officer Nero physically held him down against his will until a BPD wagon arrived to transport Mr. Gray. Lieutenant Rice, Officer Miller, and Officer Nero failed to establish probable cause for Mr. Gray's arrest as no crime had been committed by Mr. Gray. Accordingly, Lieutenant Rice, Officer Miller, and Officer Nero illegally arrested Mr. Gray. Mm. Upon arrival of the transport wagon driven by Officer Caesar Goodson, Lieutenant Rice, Officer Nero, and Officer Miller loaded Mr. Gray into the wagon, and at no point was he secured by a seatbelt while in the wagon, contrary to a BPD general order. Lieutenant Rice then directed BPD wagon to stop at Baker Street. At Baker Street, Lieutenant Rice, Officer Nero, and Officer Miller removed Mr. Gray from the wagon, placed flex cuffs on his wrists, placed leg shackles on his ankles, and complete completed required paperwork. Officer Miller, Officer Nero, and Lieutenant Rice then loaded Mr. Gray back into the wagon, placing him on his stomach, head first onto the floor of the wagon. Once again, Mr. Gray was not secured by a seatbelt in the wagon, contrary to a BPD general order. Lieutenant Rice then directed Officer Goodson to transport Mr. Gray to the central booking and intake facility. Following transport from Baker Street, Mr. Gray suffered a severe and critical neck injury as a result of being handcuffed, shackled by his feet, and unrestrained inside of the BPD wagon. From Baker Street, Officer Goodson proceeded to the vicinity of Mosher Street and Fremont Avenue, where he subsequently parked the wagon and proceeded to the back of the wagon in order to observe Mr. Gray. Despite stopping for the purpose of checking on Mr. Gray's condition, at no point did he seek nor did he render any medical assistance for Mr. Gray. Officer Goodson returned to his driver's seat and proceeded toward the central booking and intake facility with Mr. Gray still unsecured by a seatbelt contrary to a BPD general order. Several blocks later, Officer Goodson called into dispatch 
that he needed to check on the status of his prisoner and requested additional units at Dolphin Street and Drew Hill Avenue. Officer William Porter arrived on the scene near Dolphin Street and Druid Hill Avenue. Both Officer Goodson and Officer Porter proceeded to the back of the wagon to check on the status of Mr. Gray's condition. Mr. Gray at that time requested help and indicated that he could not breathe. Officer Porter asked Mr. Gray if he needed a medic, at which time Mr. Gray indicated at least twice that he was in need of a medic. Officer Porter then physically assisted Mr. Gray from the floor of the van to the bench. However, despite Mr. Gray's appeal for a medic, both officers assessed Mr. Gray's condition and at no point did either of them restrain Mr. Gray per BPD general order, nor did they render or request medical assistance. While discussing the transportation of Mr. Gray for medical attention, a request for additional units was made for an arrest at the 1600 West North Avenue. Officer Porter left the vicinity of Dolphin Street and Druid Hill Avenue to assist in the arrest of another prisoner at North Avenue. Despite Mr. Gray's obvious and recognized need for medical assistance, Officer Goodson, in a grossly negligent manner, chose to respond to the 1600 block of West North Avenue with Mr. Gray still unsecured by a seatbelt in the wagon without rendering to or summonsing medical assistance from Mr. Gray. Officer Goodson arrived at North Avenue to transport the individual arrested at the location of North Avenue and Pennsylvania Avenue, at which time he was again met by Officer Nero, Miller, Porter, and Lieutenant Rice. Once the wagon arrived, Officer Goodson walked to the back of the wagon and again opened the doors to the wagon to make observations of Mr. Gray. Sergeant Alicia White, Officer Porter, and Officer Goodson observed Mr. Gray unresponsive on the floor of the wagon. Sergeant White, who was responsible for investigating two citizen complaints pertaining to Mr. Gray's illegal arrest, spoke to the back of Mr. Gray's head. When he did not respond, she did nothing further despite the fact that she was advised that he needed a medic. She made no effort to look or assess or determine his condition. Despite Mr. Gray's seriously deteriorating medical condition, no medical assistance was rendered or summoned for Mr. Gray at that time by any officer. After completing the North Avenue arrest and loading the additional prisoner into the opposite side of the wagon containing Mr. Gray, Officer Goodson then proceeded to the Western District Police Station where contrary to the BPD general order, he again failed to restrain Mr. Gray in the wagon for at least the fifth time. At the Western District Police Station, the defendant arrested at North Avenue was unloaded, escorted, and secured inside of the police station prior to attending to Mr. Gray. Wow. By the time Officer Zachary Novak, Sergeant White, and an unknown officer attempted to remove Mr. Gray from the wagon, Mr. Gray was no longer breathing at all. A medic was finally called to the scene where upon arrival, the medic determined that Mr. Gray was now in cardiac arrest and was critically and severely injured. Mr. Gray was rushed to the University of Maryland shock trauma where he underwent surgery. On April 19, 2015, Mr. Gray succumbed to his injuries and was pronounced dead. The manner of death deemed a homicide by the Maryland State Medical Examiner 
is believed to be the result of a fatal injury that occurred while Mr. Gray was unrestrained by a seatbelt in the custody of the Baltimore Police Department wagon. All events occurred in Baltimore City, State of Maryland. While each of these officers are presumed innocent until proven guilty, we have brought the following charges. Officer Caesar Goodson is being charged with second degree depraved heart murder, involuntary manslaughter, second degree negligent assault, manslaughter by vehicle by means of gross negligence, manslaughter by vehicle by means of criminal negligence, misconduct in office for failure to secure a prisoner, failure to render aid. Officer William Porter is being charged with involuntary manslaughter assault in the second degree, misconduct in office. Lieutenant Brian Rice is being charged with involuntary manslaughter, assault in the second degree, assault in the second degree, misconduct in office, false imprisonment. Officer Edward Nero is being charged with assault in the second degree, intentional. Assault in the second degree, negligent, misconduct in office, false imprisonment. Officer Garrett Miller is being charged with an intentional assault in the second degree. Well, she goes through all 28 um, charges that have been brought against um, these six officers. And I, do we have Molly McIntyre on the line? We do. And Ricky, you're there? I am. Bam. Look at me go. And so is the black Tony Stark. Oh, A.K.A. the black Teddy Ruxpin. Oh, <laughs> <Lord>. <laughs> it's not a day. It's not a podcast unless I troll John at least once. We are welcomed. Uh, we are well, we are happy to have join us and welcome to the show. Molly Mack and John Penniman from the Penniman Doctrine. What's up, guys? Not much. Not much. How are you? We're doing all right. We are just... Uh, talking about when Marilyn J. Mosby's press conference today. I hadn't actually heard it till just now. So we were listening to her lay out um, not only the findings of her investigation, uh, which were very detailed, more detailed than I've ever heard. I mean, I've never heard anything, anything like that before, uh, but also obviously announcing the 28, um, the 28 charges that have been filed against the six police officers involved in the death of... Um, uh, Freddie Gray in Baltimore. So that happened today. Thoughts, Ricky? I only, I, uh, just so you guys I'm, know, Molly and John, we right before this, we were talking about Rikia Boyd and the situation there where um, the judge dropped the charges against um, uh, Severin and why that happened. And so we were comparing because I do think in both of these cases that the um, state's attorney's office and the prosecutor in particular, the chief prosecutor has made critical decisions and gone two different ways. So I want to call attention to mm -hmm. that. Um, so thoughts, Ricky, on, on all that? Um, holy fuck, she did her job. Yeah. She actually investigated the incident because I've been making half of these fucking points all week. One, they, they, broke, they, they broke the law in not restraining him. You don't put somebody in a fucking car with their hands and legs shackled. In, no, er, in a fucking van and expect him to not just slide around and nothing to happen to him. Then when they thought something might be wrong, they fucking just ignored it. This is what, and honestly, being someone who's been arrested a few times, 
for like stupid shit. This is exactly how they treat you. There's no concern for your well-being. There's no concern for your safety, whether you're guilty or innocent. And the whole trope about him being, you know, a criminal and you shouldn't run from the police. Number one, running from the police is not a crime. Um, two, and number if two, if this, is what, if this is what they do to you once they arrest you or even just take you, because they exactly. she didn't mention Miranda rights being read. No, he no, wasn't ever even arrested. So if you know that the possibility is I look at this cop and I'm, I could be dead because that's what happened to him. I'd yeah. run too. Yeah, I mean, if as a felon, if I catch, if I lock eyes with a cop, or even as anyone who's ever had this interaction, because I've like, if you lock, if you meet eyes with a cop, odds are they're pulling you over or they're stopping you, whatever, for whatever reason, whether you look guilty or not. And so he, ended, I, why not run? Who, who the fuck wouldn't? If this has been your experience, ten times out of twelve, every time I look at, or ten times out of ten. Every time me and an officer meet eyes, um, I'm I'm probably gonna be fucked with. I'm gonna run. I didn't violate. I'm not violating the law. I'm running, and I had a legal fucking knife on me. He's not allowed to carry a a handgun as a felon. Not not a, not a pocket knife. Right. So th- this is and and again, those would have been things they mentioned after the fact of them killing him. The most in Maryland, in Maryland, you're not allowed, or Baltimore at least, you're not allowed to have a spring-loaded switchblade. Right, and he didn't have, have that. This was on one you right. can pull. He didn't out have any of, of that. He didn't have any of that. And um, and I think she hit on all of those important points. The fact that they took the other prisoner out of the van and, and processed him before even checking on Freddie another time. She she mm-hmm. she released also a map of the drive that they took. For where they picked oh him up gosh. to the de- the police department, which I'm not kidding you, is a straight three blocks from where they picked him up. And if you see the the sharp turns and and all, they, they couldn't have taken a longer way to get to the police station from where they loaded him into the van. And he was already before being put in asking for medical attention. Yeah. So it's interesting for a lot of reasons. One, this is. Um, uh, Mosby is the youngest uh, state's attorney in any major city in the country. She was just voted into office uh, just shy of four months ago, and she was voted in under her um, platform was that she was going to hold people accountable and treat them equally under, you know, the law and all of that stuff. Um, I have another video I wanted to play while I'm getting that up. John, what, what, what were your thoughts on the charges being uh, announced? I believe that this is a great step forward. Um, you know, the fact that she was very... All right, let's back that up for a second. Let's talk about... Well, I'm going to talk about how well she presented herself, how forceful she presenters, presented herself, and how, like, down to business, let's go, she presented herself which set the tone for how this was going to work so the way she presented herself already scared i'm pretty sure um i don't know if you've talked about this already leslie but scared the fraternal order of police already um yeah well this more i think this morning this morning just one second go ahead leslie no just saying just a, a quick side note is that this morning before the announcement they sent a letter to the state's attorney office requesting that she recuse herself 
right. insinuating uh, she had some sort of personal relationship with the lawyer for the Gray family, and also threatening that this would be affect was, this would affect her husband's uh, career. So um, yeah, there's that. Go ahead, John. Can I, can I point out that it's not uncommon for like uh, right. a prosecutor and the victim's lawyer to have a relationship with Hello, each other. Hello, it's Baltimore. <laughs> they act like it's... But again, because I think, I think I heard about this They black on, and it's Baltimore. When, when Netta posted about it. Shit, I think Netta posted about it and I saw it and I, then I thought about it. I was like, wait. You don't want a victim and the, the, a victim's lawyer and the prosecutor? That's not really... Holy fuck, they're going to put him on trial. Sean King the first. on... Uh, on his Spotify's and um, since he got like a uh, the Mike Brown thing gave him like an honorary say whatever the hell you need to on Daily Coast. So uh, on think, Daily Coast, I think they call that Spotify, a job. What's that? I think they call that a job. He's paid there. So oh, he saying. works for Daily Coast. No, yes, oh, I he did does. not know that. <laughs> yes, so, he yeah, does. he's a contributor. He's a regular oh, contributor. Wow. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't know that. All right, my bad. So uh, because <laughs> I know. I know the guys at Netroots Radio, which is all connected, to, and they were telling how you know proud they were of him, like he was like a. All right, so I got you. Anyway, um, <laughs> so Bob McCullough and his relationship with the police, his relationship with uh, the spokesman of the uh, police union, who had issues with it, with uh, with in it of uh, in it of itself, um, the issues with the governor. The issues with Bob McC- I mean, th- there was. You want to talk about, uh, you know, uh, uh, he had a working relationship with with the police. Period. Like that. That's right. the, con- the with the defendant. That's a conflict of interest. Not the, conflict, not yeah, the that's victims. <laughs> it's not the victims' family that has a conflict of interest. It's you know. So, so I think it's defendant. just ridiculous. And 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 to hear these charges. Uh, you know, for them to say, oh, you know, these some of these charges aren't going to stick. Yeah, some of these charges aren't going to stick. That doesn't mean that based off of their investigation, they shouldn't be charged with them, number one. And number two, even if they don't stick, she gave them enough charges that they are going to at least get charged with two. <laughs> and then it'll probably go to trial. Oh, yeah, that'll probably go to trial. No grand jury is fucking this up. So, I mean, I, I, I applaud it. Um, and I, and I publicly for the first time, because I did this, I mean, uh, on, on air, I should say for the first time, I want to apologize because on my last show, um, I doubted the ability of, uh, Mosby and why, um, why was that? You know, what's that? Why was that? Oh, why was that? Because I don't know. I was just being cynical. I was upset. I was already yelling at some other ridiculous people that we had been dealing with, um, you know, that had ties with Baltimore police and have been saying ridiculous things. And so based off of history, I was just looking at it. And, you know, I've been posting, uh, I posted a couple things on my personal page about, you know, how uh, people are saying, you know, we're we're not out the clear yet. You know, we haven't won the war yet. You know, we just, we just got this minor victory. You got to be careful. We got to be careful. We got to be careful. And then, you know, for all intents and purposes, you know, Mosby seems to be doing the right thing, but it is still yet to be seen. And I thought that she was going to drop the ball from the get go, like the prosecutor or the special prosecutor in the um, uh, Trayvon Martin case. But, you know, she uh, she blew me away and I want to apologize because I was wrong. Well, I and that's think rare. There's a few things. <laughs> it's always for Leslie that you end up apologizing. I do. <laughs> well, what? I think there's a few things. First of all, um, 
she we we've already compared this to Rakia Boy, the special prosecutor, and I want to keep bringing it back to that because I think if we look at these key roles in our criminal justice system and the power that they have and the difference they can make in the structure that we do currently have to work in, and listen, mm-hmm. as you all know, I'm pretty radical and I would like to blow all of that shit up. But in the meantime, while we are getting killed and we're trying to fight back and we're trying to make this more just, it's important that we alleviate um, this, these stress points within the system that we mm-hmm. do have to work in. So l- l- looking at the the powers that come along with being a state's attorney and what that means, this is a, a voted um, position in all three of these cases, both Chicago, three, Ferguson, Chicago, and Baltimore. So somebody voted these people into office to do the job that they are, are doing. So I want to just play... Um, uh, Day on Love was on Melissa Harris Perry um, today. Um, he's from yes. Baltimore United yes. Coalition. Oh yeah, he's been doing amazing. amazing work. So let's. I just want to listen to him for just a second. Just talk about um, you know the structure um, and comparing the mayor there to um, the state's attorney. So I'll turn it over to him. And a city state's attorney, Marilyn J. Mosby. Mm-hmm. Uh, many people, I think, would say that our, our mayor is someone who has capitulated to the corporate structure of the Democratic Party mm-hmm. um, and many of the corporate interests in the city. Um, and I think as we see what happens, you know, in our society writ large is that oftentimes individual black people are put in positions of power, leadership, and white control dominance institutions, which brings more black people into those institutional arrangements, which undermines our ability to develop a kind of communal, independent black institution building as the basis of our work. And so Marilyn Mosby being elected um, was important because she was elected, as was alluded to earlier, for the purpose of prosecuting law enforcement officials. And she didn't get the same kind of corporate support. You know, she was outspent tremendously by the incumbent. Um, But she was able to get the grassroots support she needed. And I think this is what kind of gives her um, and it was very courageous of her to do what she did yesterday, but I think she knows the kind of support she has behind her, um, and that's important. That's an important contrast. And I think if I could just say something else really quickly, because um, I think the Ferguson comparison is important, because I think people reduce racism to individual, you know, white folks in leadership, black people who are succumbed to white folks. And I think Baltimore shows the sophistication of white supremacy and how it operates, how it takes black figures, put them in institutional positions to give the veneer of justice when really the same institutional arrangement exists. So awesome. He's so great anyways. And so is yeah. Baltimore United. They're um, an amazing organization doing amazing work in Baltimore prior to this and certainly have stepped up in a big way um, in the wake of um, all of the tumult and, and cries for justice for Freddie Gray in Baltimore recently. So, um, yeah, he kind of said it all really, but I like that. I, I really, you know, it's good to, good to think about these things about, you know, people saying elections don't matter. What's the difference? Mm-hmm. You know, there is a difference. And, um, Ferguson is a really good example when you talk about what happens after the first, you know, huge amount of, um, protests die down and they haven't died down in Ferguson. They protest every night and um, it's always something that is, is needs to be fought for. But at the same time, they've started a process to recall their mayor. They have two seats now on their city council that were backed by um, local organizers there and have agendas that are in line with the Black Lives Matter movement. So they're taking this time to 
make those structural changes that will allow them to do the work that they want to do. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it, it's interesting to me just to see, you know, this very new, um, you know, it, it just seemed to me all day today, every interview I saw with somebody from Baltimore, whether it was a, a victim's family who um, has passed away already. I heard a, a sister um, and a brother talk today about their um, their brother's killing assassination, as they put it, correct, correcting Chris Hayes on his show um, by Baltimore police. Uh, and she said quite specifically that Marilyn Mosby came to these families faces and said, I will fight for justice. I don't care who it is. That is what I'm going to do. I promise you that's what I'm going to do if you vote for me. And, you know, she, she put her money where her mouth was today. So I think that there's a separate jubilation from the community, not just that these charges have been handed down, but that somebody that they put their trust in, did what they were going to do and they're a part of the system. So I think it's a huge win um, for the community in a big way, in addition to being obviously a win for towards justice for Freddie Gray. But I am as cautious as John said, you know, uh, charges do not mean a conviction. A conviction does not mean um, jail time and even jail time, you know, will not bring Freddie back and doesn't ensure there won't be another Freddie Gray in Baltimore another, you know, soon. So, um, yeah. That just leads me to while you were saying that I was thinking about uh, the the police chief in uh, was it Milwaukee, Molly? You were yeah. telling me um, how he said that you know what what Mosby was doing is doing right now is a human sacrifice. And I'm sitting here thinking, motherfucker, uh, there is a human life that actually was sacrificed by motherfuckers that wear badges. Um, I don't understand what you're talking about. Because this is not a human sacrifice. There's consequences to your actions. And, and, and this right here is, you know, just how, um, you know, that brother was just speaking about, about, you know, uh, and this is something that I had been explaining to some trolls that have been coming onto my page who have been posting that the city council of Baltimore is, uh, uh mostly black and the mayor of, uh, Baltimore is black and the police chief of Baltimore is black and okay mm-hmm. and that doesn't change the fact that just because you put a black face on white supremacy white supremacy doesn't also always exist where did the mayor get her money the brother made that point where is the you know uh you know where did Mosby get her money she didn't she went to the community and you see how you know things are actually being done so if you want to talk about a sacrifice why is it that uh, a community getting justice for injustices that have been happening happening for generations and they're speaking out against it and maybe uh, ways that aren't the best way to go about them. That's not the point. It's just, they're just speaking out. Why is that a human sacrifice when they hold these police officers accountable, but the life of the person that has been dead or the life of uh, you know, of the other people that have died, maybe not even from police, but maybe from other situations where people got away with it. I'm thinking of maybe mm-hmm. the affluenza kid who uh, was drunk and he was like 16 years old and he was drunk and he ran over four people and got, you know, uh, rehab. Community service. Mm-hmm. Community rehab, service yeah. and rehab. Like, what about what about those lives? What about those human sacrifices? And those were white people too. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, I mean... what's baffling is you know people who made horrible arguments before this 
are making horrible arguments after this, and and you have all these these uh, intellectual black voices that have not been that have been heard in the in their respective cities, but haven't been heard in such a, a manner, are making these articulate points that everyone has been making, and you know it's just good to see on a national platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that it has to like he points out that systemic racism can have a black face on any points to the mayor directly but we we knew this when we looked at the the Philly Department of Justice report Absolutely. on on their police department and how black officers had a higher rate of misjudging you know a weapon from a black person than white cops did it doesn't matter it was slight and pretty negligible in my opinion but it's like a 2 3 point difference but that's that's what we're getting at this this system it is a system it doesn't matter who's running it it's you know when you talk about white supremacy, it's a belief structure. A black person can believe that white people are superior, and they can act upon it. And especially when they're in a position of power, if you're not in a position of power, shit don't fucking matter. Like the 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 fucking redneck who's talking shit on his on his uh, Facebook profile doesn't do anybody a damn worth of difference compared to you know a cop who believes that mm-hmm. or a prosecutor who believes that. And it's just like we sit there and we've allowed we've allowed people to be children to be demonized because we refuse to acknowledge just how large of a problem that this is. Molly, what do you think? What do you think, Molly? (laughs) Sorry. Um, I just kind of touching on all the issues. um, I know for me, like when I, you know, found out the news that there was all these count or, you know, charges being. Uh, put on all these officers. One, I, I honestly was surprised to see that three of the individuals were black, you know, considering um, that the Black Lives Matter movement is so big. Like, you would think that an issue this big hopefully wouldn't involve three black people. So that's actually really saddening to me that, uh, you know, you, you you would think that you would at least try to not put yourself in a position to be involved with that kind of thing. I mean, I'm sure that's really, really hard. Ben Carson. <coughs> I mean, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, sorry. Sorry. But, you know, like, I'm sure that that's a very difficult position to not put yourself in, seeing that you've signed up to wear the badge and to be, you know, to be blue, I guess you could say. So, <clears throat> um But on top of that, you know, at first I was really, really excited. And then, you know, John pointed out to me that, again, like you said, that just because they're being charged does not mean they're being convicted, Um, which is another thing that, I mean, that just blows my mind. And the the thing that John was saying about the, um, I think it was the sheriff in Milwaukee, and I got that article from Ricky, by the way. Um, But he said something in there that really pissed me off, and he said that, like he went on and on about the self or the human sacrificing thing, and then he said at the end that this is just another uh, George Zimmerman or Trayvon Martin. I'm not sure which one he used, but basically to me saying, we all know that they're guilty, but watch them walk away. Like that this was just basically a mockery on behalf of the prosecutor, and that nothing was going to come from it. Like there is no hope for the black community. Which at this point, you know, for all of the people that have been mad at the the 
quote unquote looters and rioters, which which I think those terms at this point are ridiculous, seeing as though there has been some form of justice that has come from this. You know, good good for everyone. Like, I'm sorry that the CVS burned down. I really am. Like, here's a tissue and dry your tears. But like, finally, I think that there has been at least one foot forward. And um, the, in in just seeing that, like, I think everyone's timeline shut the fuck up of everyone that was like, oh, this is stupid. Like, now what are you gonna say? There's fucking crickets. Like. There is hope at this point, and I hope that I hope that we really see these people rot behind bars. I know that that's not going to happen for all of them, but at least shake up all the police, you know, all the police people out there that like you guys can't get away with fucking everything. The end. Yeah, and it's it's a common practice. the 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 fact that he sat there and told him he needed a doctor, some you know, or he needed medical attention so many times, and they ignored him. I've had that happen to me. I've had it to where like I've lost fingers, like I've lost feeling in my hand for fucking an hour, and I'm like, why is this necessary? I like, okay, you gotta cuff me, cool, like no problem. You don't have to cut my circulation off. And they do yeah. shit like this because they don't, they don't care. They don't see you as fucking human. This is what this is what people do when this is what people do to dogs. Let's be real. You give a fuck how tight your dog's leash is. If he can't voice it, and you're not going to understand him. Fuck it. Who cares? I know that I'm, like, kind of, like, the weird card on the Pennyman Doctrine, because, like, I'm just, you know. I mean, she's I'm like, Molly, and she's out there, and she I'm like, thing. I'm like the, oh, I want everything to be nice, like Sherelle, but at the same time, like, I'm not as, as in, in, uh, I don't even know the word to say. Like, I'm just not on, like, the John Pennyman political debate, thank God, level, to be honest. <laughs> but at the same time, uh, you know, it's funny. The one time that I've ever been in handcuffs, I managed to Houdini my way out of that shit. And they were super tight. And I slapped a lady cop across the face. <laughs> Is this and I'm DUI still story? sitting here today, folks. Yeah. Really? Yeah. But you were you were on one, so that doesn't necessarily count. Well, I guess I was on something, yeah. but I still I got to walk away. Well, they they put me on a stretcher and took me to the. the See, Akron Akron is Akron is a little bit different, but not to 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 get sidetracked too much. Um, is anybody gonna bring up? Not, I'm not saying you guys, but I'm saying as far as like the media or like you know involved in this investigation or whatnot. Well, there's is anybody gonna talk about Dante Allen or oh, Dante Allen and and his quote unquote arrest for a cigarette situation and yeah, I mean a his lot name of a lot of that stuff has been going on. I will say one thing is that uh, what did come out today that I thought was very interesting about Baltimore is that the um, special state attorney's office conducted its own investigation. The police were simultaneously conducting theirs, investigating themselves. And um, Mosby made a point in her interview with Chris Hayes today to say that when they handed her, when the police handed her their report, there was nothing in it that she didn't already know herself, which is why she was able to bring these charges so quickly after receiving their report. They're trying to right. make it seem like well, we just gave her the report. And she's like, I don't need your fucking report, bitch. <laughs> I already know yeah. what happened because I had my own people out there. She assembled a 
like top-notch team. She also embedded two Baltimore Sun reporters with the investigative team through the entire process that those stories would be coming out in the coming days of exactly how they went about doing this work. And I think it was mm-hmm. brilliant on her part to have such huge transparency because it will protect her from potential backlash politically. And specifically from um, the FOP, because she's going to be able to say, nah, I bought in, I got it. I got the FBI profiler, dude. I got the CSI guy who does the best stuff. I got all the top notch people. And this is what they did. And we documented it with a third party that has no stake in this shit. So fuck you. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. And they're fucking, they're idiots anyway. Like, I don't think. Again, they're using the same old fucking playbook because eh, it's worked for so fucking long. I, I can't say that I blame the, the strategy to keep using, to keep going for it, but people are smarter than this now. No one. It I- took me. What what did it take me? Like what forty forty five seconds to figure out? Or no, it was like two or three minutes to figure out. Like oh shit, y'all y'all are against using special prosecutors yeah. when. It involves you guys, but now you want a special process. Yeah, we literally, I was, we were on Facebook and I said, I bet you that they've, in this last year, just decried special prosecutors publicly and ricky was like i'm on it and a minute later he's like here's two cases where they vehemently <laughs> didn't want to pass this, this this law and they specifically cited that that clause needed to be pulled out like man fuck you that's just stop because you sound crazy they, and, to the and, point that they changed legislation think about that they were yep. so opposed to special prosecutors to the fact to the to the degree that they changed state legislation or city legislation and no, and then they're going to ask for one? Where's the intellectual consistency? Well, that assumes intellect, first of all. Uh, and then secondarily, um, it Fair assumes enough. that they, they think at all about any of this stuff being linear or connected or that they'll be called on shit they've already done. It's like the strangest weird thing and the media is experiencing it now too you know when you see deray mm-hmm. making wolf blitzer look like a tool on national television it's like yes stop coming in here asking us dumbass questions no you're not going to get me to say whatever it is you're trying to get me to say and somebody better start protecting don lemon because i'm telling you somebody's going to punch that motherfucker out eventually it's really it's gonna be me he it is so close if shit goes down in cleveland i he, might lose my fucking he is going to go to the rich. wrong neighborhood and to, and step to the wrong dude and somebody's going to knock his ass out live on television i'm it's telling John you Pennyman. look what's today what's the date it's may 1st 10.49, May 2nd. May 2nd. Okay, May 2nd, 10.49 p.m. in the motherfucking Eastern Time. Shout out to Chonilla. Um, and I'm calling it right now. I'll even put a date. I say by the end of this year, somebody will have a physical altercation with Don Lemon on television. Why are you tempting me right now? I'm not tempting you. I'm just saying I, it's going to happen. It's yeah. not me either. It's his fault. So don't try and put yeah. it Don't try go- and put it this way. If, if, shit, if shit goes down in Cleveland... Because we got our case, too, with the police that want to have 67 cop cars and shoot over 100 and, what, 140, 175 yeah. times or yeah. some shit. And they ain't even have a gun and all this other kind of stuff like that. If shit go down where these motherfuckers get off, I might lose my job. I might have to take, a, like, a leave of absence or something. But... I'm getting involved. I cannot deal with this anymore. And if I see Don Lemon's ass, I'm gonna give him. I'm gonna give him about about ten seconds, not even seven seconds. Seven. Well, let me ask you this: What are you waiting? What are you waiting for it to come to Cleveland for? It's already there. 
So yeah. what's stopping no, no, you no, now? No. It's 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 already here, but I'm I'm talking about like protests and, and things. Yeah, such I'm as talking that. about protests yeah, too. But it's I think it's everybody's patience level is different, and everybody's been through it to a different degree, and so I think everybody reacts to it differently. Like uh, me and Phoenix were talking about it about how when she went to she went down to Ferguson, and they were so upset about. Um, what was going on and they were like aren't you scared of the police motherfucker I'm from Chicago they're corrupt as it comes <laughs> shit happening right and like it, it happens with me like I'm like that too if people always ask me like why aren't there that many protests in LA cause mm, we've we've our boiling our boiling point is past and it will come it will come again as it came in the 1960s as it came in 1992 it's gonna come again where people it, it, the the pipe is gonna bust. You can't keep flooding a pipe and think that it's not gonna bust at some point. Yeah, I definitely hear that. There are um, there's actions going on everywhere. They may not be yeah. as nightly and consistent as and as they are in other places, but trust mm-hmm. there there's stuff going on. And even if it's not an actual protest, there are panel discussions and meetings right. and organization meetings and things going on. Mm-hmm. Which is when I say. Like, I don't, I think people have this idea that, like, the only way for you to interact with the movement is through protests, and that's only one part of what is necessary and what it entails. So, Mm -hmm. I would encourage people to, you need to get involved before you're needed on the front lines, because then you'll be prepared to be on the front lines. Uh, With that said, uh, Maggie, um, who we connected with on your page, uh, we were going to do it this weekend, but, you know, um, child issues prevented us from uh, being mobile. Uh, but uh, some, sometime extremely soon, because we, uh, we even found, Molly found out that there's this place where when we're, when she, because I don't really do it anymore, but when she's doing her little walk, run, jog thing yeah, down the Carnegie Bridge really. or not, mm-hmm. yeah. there's, there's this, uh, you hush lady, there's this... Um, <laughs> This place that we walk past, and we and we look in it every time we walk past it, and it looks like a place where people come, people come and gather and do stuff like that. Come to find out, that's where it is. So it is literally <laughs> down, not even a five minute walk away from our According house. According to my phone, it's like point three five miles. Yeah, so yeah. it's it's not even a five minute walk from our See? house. So y'all are so already y'all set up then. Yeah, we're we're good. Yeah, and I'm pretty we're, excited. We're, I'm I'm ready to go because you know. Man, you're gonna have to I, put your walking shoes back on. Oh, buddy. you stop it! And uh, unfortunately, yeah, I know I'm, I'm ready a protest point three five miles from my house. Unfortunately, no. And <laughs> and I also don't think that I, I like what what you guys would be going to probably isn't a protest per se. It might be just you know we do in Philadelphia. We don't have a ton of protests. We do have them when things are, occur on their you know, they happen, but we, every two weeks we have a huge town hall meeting. I think the next one is this, this Tuesday run by a coalition of organizations, about 40 of them that do all sorts of social justice issues. But to, every two weeks they invite everybody in the whole community to come to one place and they have an agenda and we break into groups and discuss all sorts of things from self care to education, to the arts, to all of the things that encompass, you know, the, the stuff that we're trying to get done, legal aid and, and, um, I mean, literally all sorts of things. So there's a lot that can be done that don't have anything to do with protesting at all. And yeah, um, yeah. And I think, I mean, I, I think that people fail to realize that. And it's it's something that we don't even think. It's it's obvious, but it's not something we think about. 
we think about oh what what change looks like we think about what it what we see on the media which is people protesting you mm-hmm. don't they don't see that you know someone getting someone getting snatched they just see someone getting snatched up on CNN they don't see all the planning that went towards him being able to get out the next day right oh, yeah they don't see yeah yes he's out, he's out there that. tonight um <laughs> yeah they don't they don't show any of that stuff you know like the fact that um, in all of these actions, usually once arrests are occurring, um, all of the legal aid um, people that have been assigned to the action, they tweet out a place they're meeting and they just meet there and they just sign up for shifts. So 24 hours, there's legal aid there to continually just try and get people out. So it's stuff like that that go that that's what those meetings are for. So you have those mm-hmm. levers to pull when you need them to happen. And it is a lot of organization that goes into it. Um so shout out to all of the organizers on the ground because I know you guys work hard and do lots to make things happen. Um, speaking of which, uh, there's lots of organizing going on in Baltimore, not just surrounding the protest, but also um, uh, around just helping the community in general, which um, is certainly one that is in need of help. And one of the programs is uh, hashtag Baltimore Lunch. And through Baltimore Lunch, you can um, help get supplies um, to the elderly, to the children of Baltimore um, due to a lot of factors, including this curfew that is still is in, is in effect um, and stores that close because of the curfew, um, like uh, Rite Aid, for example, and, and uh, lots of other stores. And it also is a food desert in most of the um, inner city parts of Baltimore as well, um, which means that they, they can't get... Um, you know, food at all uh, mm-hmm. within, I think, is it five miles? I don't know what the, the technical, um, you know, designation is for a food desert. I'll look it up. But um, yeah, so they have this thing called Black Lunch and they're working um, to collect donations each day and then um, having them set up uh Baltimore, Baltimore lunch, not black lunch, sorry. Uh, set up at St. Mark's, I think it is. Um, I'll put the link. It's on um, Ferguson Response. Um, the Tumblr has what they need dropped off, where you can drop it off, and where you can um, donate. You can also um, send just funds for them to use to buy the items, and you can also ship items via an Amazon um, wish list that they have set up for things like diapers and baby um, formula and cereal and um you know, toiletries and things like that that they're looking for. Um, so yeah, tonight they're doing and, a protest. Shout out, shout out to to Charles Wade and Operation. No, Help seriously, Charles Wade and Operation Help Bar Hush. I've never seen anything go into action like that in my entire so life. Quickly, they yeah. uh, they operated like with military precision. Like they did not play. I as mm. soon as they closed the school, as soon as they announced schools were closed, it was that was it. Charles was already on the road. He he. I it, I was texting him from the road. We were setting up places where we could have people drop off stuff. Then we started deciding what we were going to have dropped off, and then figuring out a time to meet in the morning. And by you know ten o'clock the next day, ten thirty, we had three different sites that were setting up bag lunches for the kids, and then um, bringing them into the community because people didn't really know where to find us. It was the first day we were doing it, and mm-hmm. bringing pizza, bringing snack bags for later, bringing books and activity books for the kids uh, through all of the neighborhoods and we just broke into teams and just did it. I mean, really, I've never seen anything like it. From zero organization on the ground at, you know, 10 o'clock at night to a full-fledged operation by 10.30 the next morning, it's un. 
believable. So yes, yeah. Shout out to Charles Wade and to Operation Help Hush. They they're on their on their business for sure. Yeah, and I think you know what um, because of the because they have the Amazon wish list, um, and I'm just now thinking of this. But anyone who uses the uh, the AUA uh, Amazon kickback link going forward, uh, just if, if you use it, send me an email so that I know um, that that's where that's coming from. Um, or that's what that's going towards, and any money that we receive from that, I will donate to Operation Help Rush. Oh, that's that way, awesome. we're like on top of it. We're just building on top because that, that there is there is something to be said for like collective economics, and it, it does mm-hmm. help. I'm always really critical of it when I'm having discussions about it, but it's because I I w- would like for that to happen. There's right. just you know there are some structural problems I see wrong with it. But in the meantime, it does help even even if it's just a little bit. So um, you can go to uh, auamovement.org and just use our Amazon kickback link um, and go to their uh, wish list. That's right, which will be linked on that um, Baltimore lunch page on Ferguson Response. I'll put a link to that in the show notes, too, so people can see that. Um, if I can just add to that real quick, I, I know this is... I'll make it quick, but, um, you know, I've, I've been a single mom for the last five years. And when I first, uh, and decided that that was my, going to be my decision, um, you know, I was one of those women. I, I relied on my son eating breakfast and lunch at school. And, um, you know, when we had a snow day or something, like it was absolutely detrimental. So when I saw Leslie that that you guys were heading down there, and that's when I first heard of um, Charles's organization, you know, it literally brought tears to my eyes because that is so big. Like I had enough money basically to supply dinner and food on the weekends, and food on the weekends wasn't even that great. Mm. And I mean, I can't even imagine, you know with everything going on in Baltimore, um, if someone would have, you know, his school literally was right across the street from my house. I could see the the building from my front door. And if I would have known that I had relief like that, I mean, that, that whole thing, and I don't know why I didn't say this on our show with you. I mean, I, I just, I can't give any more thank yous on the behalf of, of them, you know, because there's nothing more stressful than realizing that you don't have enough to put food in your own child's mouth. So Mm -hmm. I want to thank you and him on behalf of Baltimore, because that just, I mean, I I don't even have words because I I feel that pain. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, because especially because people, people work full time and they still can't do this. That's That's exactly the position I was in. The fundamental problem. Yep. That's a that's a fundamental problem when we talk about like when people are talking about the areas like Baltimore with me growing up in Compton and Watts like I know the areas I don't have to be there to know the demographics of the area it's it you do this to any fucking civilization to any people in any civilization and they'll react about the same way you can't put people in massive poverty and making having to even think about what they're gonna feed their child for lunch or if they're going to be able to feed their child simply because and, and they I have, was they're spending all day point. at work yeah spending all day at work 
That's one more fucking thing to worry about that you don't have to worry about when you're not poor. It's we sit there and we have to we second guess people, like especially the poor and especially poor black people, because apparently we're supposed to be the moral equivalent of Jesus at all times. But you know, you poverty literally is like sta- staying up doing an all nighter every like, night that you're in it. Mm-hmm. So when you put someone like that in a position where okay, I've just done an all nighter, um, I got to get up, get my kids ready for school, um, I got to. I got to sit in, uh, on a public transportation or I have to fucking drive forever to go to work. Then when I get home, maybe I might be able to feed them something. And I have to struggle about that. Oh, shit, there's a snow day. They can't go to school or they're rioting. So, you know, I, I can't go to school or they can't go to school. Fuck, what am I going to do? It like you leave people in this state of constant fear and never ending hustle that they don't take care of themselves they don't give a fuck about their community and it's fine for institutions like the baltimore police department or the baltimore's mayor mayor who are they're counting on it they're banking on being able to over police an area because the citizens don't they're so fucking busy that they don't even care they're not busy i mean they're busy but they're busy doing bullshit Who's busy doing bullshit? The, the, ma- the, the, the mayor. The mayor. No, no, no. no. I mean, the, and the city. No, he, uh, he's uh, talking uh, about the citizens. Yeah. I'm, I'm talking about the no, citizens. That is, I'm that talking about the people bullshit. of the city. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely not. No, it's definitely true just about. And, and the thing is that this, these are lessons that we learned in Ferguson. You know, when Ferguson happened, there were four days that happened before um, anybody really started thinking about, oh, my gosh, there's children that normally would get school lunch. What are we going to do with them? And the thing is, you would you would expect a school to, a school system to kick in. You would expect them to have, you know, um, places to, to feed the children of these areas when this stuff happens. And they don't. They don't care. They just shut the schools down. And um, in the case of Baltimore, Tuesday evening, we found out that the lunches for Tuesday were already at the schools. They were sitting there, parts of them perishable that went to waste because they're individually uh, wrapped. They're kind of, you know, like boxed almost and um they could have been picked up at the schools and brought to the children in the neighborhoods but they decided not to do that and the fact that this stuff falls to volunteers and to donations and to a community organization to come in to do it's just disgusting and it just shows complete disregard because if something happened i just you know it's just speaks to the depravity of the situation and that those that have the least are given the least and it makes no sense whatsoever you know yeah, and think and think crazy. about it the fact that a parent can't feed their fucking child working full time that they have to depend on a, them that child going to lunch that is the underlying problem that that you know they have to stay home for a day and the person is a is even lower middle class where they can fucking feed them Oh, it's a pain in the ass, but whatever. Here, here's twenty dollars for a pizza. I have to go. Exactly. Or here's, or here, you guys can go and do this. Here, there's groceries in the in, in, the, in, the, in fridge. the fridge. Make yep. you something. Yep. That's it. That's it. Hey, I'm working late. Here's some money for groceries, or here's some money for some food. People don't have the the 
the ability to do this shit on a regular basis when emergencies come up. And even specifically with the city of Baltimore, like we have generational poverty. We have you, you have a bunch of fucking people who just don't care and they actually ride through the city. They ride through the worst parts of the city. Um, I forgot what the name of that uh, the Amtrak line that most of the politicians take when they go from oh yeah the, the ninety five corridor. Takes. It's even worse than that in Baltimore. They have what they call the St. Charles corridor, and it's a strip down the middle of Baltimore that's beautiful and well kept and wonderful. And then to the east of it and to the west of it, as far as you can see, nothing but dilapidation. And these people go to their homes yeah. every night and they ride like through nothing it every day, they every day like they like nothing's going on. And I also want to mention that this this. Uh, military occupation that we have seen in baltimore just like we did in ferguson if if anybody thought ferguson was unique uh think again obviously because you know we were in uh baltimore tuesday they had every tanks drones um i'm not kidding when i say drones multiple drones i've never i have never been around so much aerial surveillance in my entire natural life it was it was off putting. You could hear it. It was mm-hmm. that off putting. It was like, wait a second. I couldn't even there were there were moments where I would be in a conversation and it would be distracting me. And I was sitting there thinking, I said to Drew, I said, These people are living in this twenty four seven with this den of craziness constantly. Just that's part of the their background noise. And I'm not talking mm-hmm. normal city noises that you hear generally. I'm from New York City. I grew up in a city, so I know that it's not always quiet. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the kind of noise that's like active, persistent, and there like going for, from a, there a, for a you. Hum to a weird. Yes. Like a, 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 it is the that's, craziest. It's completely different. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. And these are the conditions that they're living under because what? Because you, the police, killed somebody? Think of how fucked up that is. <laughs> you did and something you know wrong and we're paying for it. And even worse, it was it, it, that was a that was the, the underlying cause, but the more the more direct reason is for six days people peacefully protested. No, it was longer and you than six do shit with them. It was well, longer no, than six days. That. Because prior even before that even, people started protesting the day that Freddie went in the hospital. They protested for seven days. The day that Marshall Justice got to uh, Baltimore was uh, Sunday, and he passed away that mm-hmm. Sunday. There was another six days of protesting. So we are talking about the original incident happened April 16th. Come on, man. It's May. Yeah. Let's keep let's keep it real. Don't act like you're just going to jump to the bad shit that happened. Don't act like you haven't been trying to egg protesters on for weeks now and that all they asked was a very simple question is why the fuck was Freddie stopped at all? And you couldn't even answer that question. You couldn't exactly. even answer that question. It wasn't even like they need they people were demanding to know, you know, exactly who the police were and they wanted to know exactly what happened. They literally were asking for the simplest of questions. Why was he taken period and but when they couldn't figure but when when they couldn't fuck with the protesters and get them to to try to incite a riot with them they went after their kids yeah you think about fucked up that is it's you so really, bad you literally show up to a mall and start snatching little kids off off of buses a mall and that's a riot gear and guns yeah a mall that's a hub first for all of the transportation, city. a city that i think only two in ten people have a vehicle that they drive 
if you're talking about the black community in Baltimore, two out of 10. So these are not people, all these kids start taking the bus to school at six years old in this city on the regular. And you cut off all of you. you There's no school school buses, 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 city buses. They don't have school buses in Baltimore. They don't have the money for that. They're too busy paying off people for police brutality cases. 6.9 million in the last four years. But it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy to think about how much effort the city, and I'm talking about the, you know, the police, the police efforts and things like that went through to try and exacerbate, you know, a situation that being, you know, what turned out to be the rioting and looting. Like they put so much effort in to see that stuff happen because they didn't want, you know, the peaceful protesting to, to, you know, show up in the news. They didn't. They didn't want the media to cover that, and and the media really probably wasn't going to cover much of that because it's not a good mm-hmm. story. You know, who wants to see a bunch of peaceful black people? You know, trying to voice their concerns and you know push for justice. Like that's that's not a good news story. That you would put you would you would go out of your way to put children in danger, technically. And and make children go hungry like you would be willing to put your community through so much turmoil just to maybe, you know, have hopes that someone's going to have your back when thank God in, in the end, you know, she, you know, nailed what, 29 counts to all of them. But, you know, how much like they really went out of their way, like, you know hashtag black lives matter like they wanted just to stomp the shit out of that and be like you know what we're gonna do all this crazy shit but you can't say a thing because we're the ones in uniform and you can't do anything about it and well the playbook backfired though their playbook backfired normally this is what you would do to incite a riot and get people to be upset and make black people look bad but the problem is is that the media wasn't covering this shit anyway. They weren't really paying that much mind to this shit anyway. So there was really no need to do that. However, they did, and now, oh, oh, holy shit, everyone's here, and they see how fucking terrible you've been. Now you look like now you look like an ass. I just love that at this point, absolutely everything that they've tried to do to make this situation look good on their behalf has made them look even more like bigger assholes than before. It's so true. Because everything they said was a lie. Oh, the Bloods and the Crips, they're coming to get us. Or they're not. And they've just (laughs) stopped. They've just come together to try and do something for the video. Just come together to stop the violence for a little while because y'all are out here killing any of us. One or one of the two. There's been you know so what made it so bad? That's come out of this. Yeah, but you know what's so bad though is they were sitting up there showing like even they were sitting up there showing riot videos talking about those were the, the, the they were thugs and they were bloods and crips and I'm like look I know real thugs a nigga breaking into a liquor store with a sledgehammer with mm-hmm. no mask on grabbing just alcohol that's a fucking kid get real. That's a rookie move if I've ever seen one. That is a kid who's probably hyped up because they didn't already fought off the police after being harassed by the police and court- literally circled circled in by the police. That's them fucking celebrating. Right. Oh, well, do you, do, might I have a problem with a fucking minor drinking? Yeah, but I also know that minors do it. So I, I, can't, I can't ignore that. Real thugs aren't going to do dumb shit like that. The real thugs was out there stopping crime. Why? Because they're not in the mood to die. (laughs) 
Right. Is the truth. We have probably about 10 or probably, yeah, about 10 or 15 minutes left. So I'm just giving you guys a little time check. Um, what else did you want to talk about, Ricky? Um, you, did you want to talk about the misogyny in the movement? I know, you know, Agent, Agent wasn't here, yeah, but, um, A, it's going to take longer than 10 or 15 minutes to talk about that, it. That's true. Yeah. That's, that's true. number one. Um, and I want to give it its due because I actually have some, some real thoughts about it and also thoughts about, um, from the March of Justice, how I saw it pl- coming into play and mm-hmm. how, um, insidious it was and the ways that it showed up it was really uh, uh eye-opening because i was so isolated without any distractions and just focused on this small group of people it was almost a little experiment if you will uh about all of these dynamics that go into the movement which is really interesting so i do want to talk about it but i think we should do that when we probably would spend the whole show on that because i think it needs some yeah dissecting yeah definitely for sure um, I mentioned earlier, or maybe we weren't even on air yet. I don't know. I might have just been talking to you, Ricky, because we do that sometimes <laughs> pre-show um, about, um, well, I was going to just talk for a moment about, I don't even like to use the term, but white allies for a moment. Ah, uh, yeah. And yes. well, I can't wait. Well, here's the thing. A lot of white allies are people that are white people that are in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement. They're, you know, they're enlightened. They really want to do good. They really want to help. Um, and they have gotten the message that they need to take direction from black leadership, right? Okay. I feel like that's been something that's been talked about. It's been controversially talked about. Now I feel like it's a little more accepted as a, uh, a given if you're going to come into the space and, and, mm-hmm. you know, start coming into this place, you know, just this idea of checking your privilege and knowing that you don't know everything and that, uh, you know, you need to let the people that are doing the, the leading and who are affected, um, actually decide what happens. So there's a, this strange thing that comes along with that, which is, and, and I don't know how to put it other than there's almost an excuse for non-action built into that structure a little bit. Um, I'll give you an example. So hmm. Baltimore's been under curfew for the past couple of days. And it's been really ridiculous. 10 o'clock curfew, starting at 9, literally helicopters just come down lower and start blasting over their speakers. Curfew is about to start. You have X number of minutes to vacate the area and return to your homes over and over again like in the whole neighborhood. And then 10 o'clock comes and then the police start, you know, pushing people towards a specific area, not letting them out, arresting them. In a lot of cases, there's a lot of people that are in jail. And actually we could do an entire show about the aberrant conditions of the people that have been arrested in Baltimore. Almost 300 of them, um, were, have been arrested since last week. Um, Monday was the start of most of the arrests. There were very minor arrests before that. I think Saturday was only 12, Sunday maybe 15, but they arrested over 100 people on Monday and about the same on Tuesday. And um, when I tell you it was deplorable conditions, no Miranda rights. People have not even been charged with anything. Um, women 15 to a holding cell. This isn't even a cell wow. people are supposed to. 15 in a holding cell with no... With one sink and one toilet, 15 people, there's not enough room for them all to lay down. 
They're given four pieces of bread and two pieces of cheese three times a day. That's it. Um, for three days with no legal representation, with no call to their families to let them know where they are, just left there because it's a state of emergency, y'all. So they can just pick people off the street and just put them in a room, not even a room. So anyways, sorry, that was a bit of a tangent, but I got all that information today and it's been really, really bad. So anyway, so... So this curfew thing, though, has been just really irritating because they're only it's it's a curfew for the entire city of Baltimore. Okay, that is the decree um, that has been put forth, but it's only being enforced in the black neighborhoods, of course. So I casually asked some white people, have you been around after curfew is over? And they're like, oh, no, we left before the curfew is over. I said, oh. Uh, did somebody ask you to leave? Silence. Then the defensiveness mm-hmm. kicks in. Well, nobody told me I should stay, and I take my, you know, um, directions from the leadership. And da-da. okay, listen, all of you white allies and people in solidarity with the movement. Let me tell you something. There's a difference between taking direction and allowing yourself to have no direction. Uh They're two different things. So I would encourage you to step outside yourself and say, I'm going to take a risk because those of us on the other side that you're fighting with, we take risks every day. We take risks just leaving our houses in some cases. So you can step outside yourself for a minute and say, hey, I'm going to go down there with all of my wealthy white friends to North and Penn and stay after curfew and see what happens. See if they act the same way that they did last night. Roughing up teenagers, elderly people, spraying mace in the crowd. Will they do that when you're there? I don't know. If you're not willing to go there, fine. Go take a stroll in your neighborhood at 1045 at night. That's supposed to also be under curfew. And take your video out and walk your dog for a good 20 minutes and see if you come across any police officers, National Guard, state troopers, any law enforcement whatsoever in your neighborhood. And then post it with the time and say, this is Baltimore curfew in my neighborhood. You have to find ways to leverage your privilege and you cannot depend on black people to tell you how to do that. It's your fucking privilege. No. And I think that, I mean, you recognize when you have the advantage and when you can do something that someone else can't. Like, that's the... It's it's such... But yes, they, they don't, do. and that's why it's the privilege. Yes, they do. I mean, but the thing about it is... They know. Like, they, they they know. Listen, they left that area because they knew that it was about to get locked down. And then they got to their house, John. And lo and behold, nobody was locking shit down. How do you mean they don't know? They fucking know. Listen, the time for ignorance to be an excuse is over. It's done. It's done. I don't want to hear it again. I don't want to hear somebody say it to me. If you're breathing and you live in these here United States of America, you know what is happening to black and brown people. And today you get to decide if you're on the right side of history or you're a douchebag. Those are the two options you have. There's no middle ground anymore. Well, douchebag gets you paid. So that's the choice they've taken. That's the yeah, choice. Unfortunately. Yeah. And it seems as though that's, can, the, that's the choice that black people are taking, too. I mean, fuck it. You got three cops, the mayor and the police chief acting like asses. Yeah. 
in the city where motherfuckers is my CBS. Oh, oh don't even get me started. <laughs> don't even get me started. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's that seems to be the the choice. So you know, I. I don't and, know. But I, th- what I like to say is that is where the purpose of civil disobedience and protest comes into play. Because oh, yeah. if I make you uncomfortable, mm-hmm. if I make you inconvenienced, if I make it so that you cannot live that privileged life that you have because of my actions, then you're going to do something. So you can be a douchebag if you choose to, and then I'm going to force you to still care because you're going to care about yourself. But the inconvenience oh isn't even Why an inconvenience. It's it's like, go ahead, Ricky. No, but it's, then then they're like, well, oh my god, why why can't you guys just leave us alone? Leave you alone, motherfucker! Why won't y'all leave us alone? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I, the foot, your foot's on our neck, not the other way around. We're not putting our neck under your foot. It's it's just that fear. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I think that this, especially this situation for for the protests, actually. And the the rioting, I guess, which wasn't even that big of a deal. Uh, I mean, honestly, overall, um, uh, it it it's, it scares the shit out of motherfuckers, especially the motherfuckers at the at the game who were the the real reason why the game uh, the the Orioles game had nobody in the stands is because of you fans, and it had nothing to do with the black people out there rioting and shit. Mm-hmm. They, they, the C, the COO of the team, which is the son of the owner, was like, "Look, um, shit is fucked up out here." I'm, I'm obviously paraphrasing, but sh- shit is fucked up out here. Until y'all address the shit that's really wrong with the fucking city of Baltimore, like I'm not even gonna sit there and say nothing about what's going on because we, we already know what it is. And that's a rich, du- rich, rich white dude saying this stuff who owns a team that poor rich you know come and enjoy that wear the hats wear the merchandise all that. he even understands this shit so it's just like it's just like look your little inconvenience that you can't get to the store the way you want to or you can't even go to the store that you would like to or whatever the fuck it is is nothing compared to the daily constant fear of uh, fear of uh, what's going to happen, fear that I'm going to lose my life, fear of I mean I mean and that's just all across the country, not just in Baltimore. Yeah, I mean, and even you know to what? this day, I got PTSD with the police. It's not just, and you know what? It's, this isn't just for fucking white people either. It nope. or the system. It's for the rest of these fuck. Like it's the it's for the rest of those black people who are just sitting around not saying shit, ignoring it, allowing. 13, 14, 15, 16 year old kids to get fucked with by the police and then they're mad when those kids are so angry that they burn something down. You're upset at the results when you didn't do when you were participated in the cause. You're either part of the problem or you're part of the solution. As a net, you know, you may do some things that's problematic if you're part of the solution, but overall you're a net positive. You can you can't be in the middle. It's, you really can't. There's no way. You're either a net positive or a net negative. That's it. So which do you want to be as 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 any person as a black person as a white person looking back on like looking back on history and how other people looked to us when they sat there and just dealt with it my grandfather and my grand my, my grandparents they didn't particularly well I take that back 
um, people people that I know my grandparents knew um, because my my grandmother's definitely usually out protesting. My grandfather would go, um, but those older people, how could you just sit there and take this? Well, some people just deal with their environment. At this point, we're not going to let you just deal with your environment. The status nope. quo is not going to happen. So no. you have a choice. Option A, option B. Pick one. You're in a gunfight. Pick up the gun. Sorry. Yeah, and the thing is, and I was mentioning the whole thing about, you know, how Operation Helper Hush and the other um, local organizations they plugged into immediately, how you saw the lessons of Ferguson, you know, visiting in Baltimore is because of that. And you could see that their populace was ready to talk to the cameras, to give facts and figures. Every single person I saw that talked on television was like, yeah, I got my shit in order and I will tell you what happened. This is what happened. Don't try and make it sound anything other than this. You're not going to just come in here and you're not going to get any interviews with anybody else either so you'll have to listen to me and it's it's uh huge uh to have the experiences that have gone on prior to this and it's really important that we look back and take the lessons each time something like this happens where um a city is galvanized and then by extension a country is galvanized next saturday is going to be a huge um event in baltimore that i think is it might be the biggest that we've seen as far as protest goes. Um, and if anybody hasn't heard yet, uh, officially, uh, Black Spring kicked off today and you will be seeing a lot of actions coming out of that nationwide. Uh, I can just tell you on the Ferguson response tumbler, I think we had like 28 actions today, 22 yesterday, another 20 tomorrow. Um, next week is getting very busy. So, um, yeah, it's 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 gonna be. Hey, John. Uh, it's on. John, John, you wanna? Uh, you, I say uh, somebody needs to come up with be, because we're having this this Black Spring. We need to kind of look at what happened in the other ones. Um, you know, Arab Arab Spring and take look to lessons learned. Mm. John, you down to down? You down? Let's go. We can do this. Some research, nigga. Research. Yeah, I, I mean, like researching. I do, oh I do. God, I'm, I'm down for it. I was about to say, um, I don't know how productive it would be if we just overtook militaries and shit. But you know, we, we, we could do something to <laughs> make something happen. Yeah, yeah. but, but that is important well, because you know people look. We look to these things and we give them their that name because we we take some inspiration but right we, we have to recognize like what worked for them not just you know see that the entire process not just um see that they've gotten progress but to see how we can improve upon that yeah and i think that there's also this idea of it just being the beginning too that's the other thing i think about spring is that it's about mm -hmm. renewal it's about growth it's about um growing into something else so it's not the end result but it's the start of something and i think mm -hmm. that it's going to be a very busy spring and it's going to be a really really i can't even say this enough really busy summer i have been hearing lots of chatter from florida to oakland to um, Seattle to DC, Baltimore, New York, all over some huge, huge actions that are going to be planned um, for this summer. So it's going to be pretty interesting to see all of that come to pass. Well, we are at the end of our show, Molly and John, please tell everyone where they can find the two of you and your wonderful podcast. Well, you can find us on the regular places, Stitcher, uh, iTunes, 
Um, our Podomatic is our is our host. You can check us out on our website, thepennymandoctrine.blogspot.com. Check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash thepennymandoctrine. Follow us on Twitter, I am TPD Podcast. I'm Molly of TPD. And uh, hit us up. We're, we're, we're trying to get some guests on, get some uh, different perspectives on things. Uh, we recently had uh, my very inspirational and awesome podcast sister, Leslie on recently that we just posted our complete interview um, with 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 her. With Aww, you. and you were a guinea pig for our audio. I'm sorry. That's yeah, good. Like if you if you go back and listen to it, it 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 like we got the main gist of what you were saying, but it it didn't come out very good, and I apologize about that. I I, I blame Google Hangouts more than the mixer. But the mixer did have an issue, and I, I apologize for that. But it was good nonetheless once we figured it out. But uh, that's where you can find us, and uh, hopefully you check us out because we got some big, big, uh, bigger and better things coming in the future. Awesome. And we're trying to make things better. Awesome. Ricky, tell the people where they can find you. Um, Everywhere. No, <laughs> everywhere. No. In um, your He's like Ultron. Yeah, check under the bed, between the mattress. <laughs> I'm there. Fuck it. Um, no, you can find me at auamovement.org. Uh, you can find our app on the Google Play Store hopefully sometime later. No, it's not going to happen this month. Let me not bullshit myself. But sometime during the summer, we'll have the uh, AUA app for iTunes. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Twitter. Yeah, uh, I'm you're not there. ever that's there. You can't, but that's whatever. the only place you can't find but me. Whatever. <laughs> but uh, my, my um, A-U-A-D-O-T-O-R-G uh, on Twitter or you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash A-U-A movement Excelente You can find me on Twitter at Leslie Mac M-A-C You can also find me my other podcast Interracial John that's J-A-W-N on iTunes or Stitcher just search Interracial John or go to interracialjohn.com uh, and you can find the Ferguson Response podcast this one on iTunes and Stitcher as well. Just search for Ferguson Response Network or go to our website, fergusonresponse.org. And if you are looking for actions in your area or would like to add yours, you can go to fergusonresponse.tumblr.com. Thanks for joining us and we will see you next week. Hey, it's Leslie Mack again. Uh, just a quick addendum to this episode. Um, after uh, we taped this episode, uh, a group of white um, allies and those in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement in the Baltimore area did indeed um, take it upon themselves to go and break curfew at two specific protest spots on Saturday evening. Um, results were varied, but it definitely highlighted the difference in which white people were um, being affected by this curfew and black citizens and uh, led to arrest of quite a few people as well. Well, uh, lo and behold, the next morning on Sunday morning, the curfew was lifted by decree of the mayor first thing in the morning. Uh, we'll be talking about this again on the next episode, but I just wanted to put that addendum in here since it did happen between um, our recording and the airing. Thanks. <laughs>